Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of TheVerge.com. The .com is a reference to our website, but The Verge actually exists on multiple media channels. We're on Peach. Do you think of The Verge as TheVerge.com, or do you think of it as The Verge? I think of it as The Verge, but I think all of us canonically think of it as TheVerge.com. Was there any question that you would go with .com? Did you ever throw around .org, .us? There was a real moment when we weren't going to get that domain name. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. There's a whole Wait, Was there, like, somebody squatting thing. on it? The domain name we wanted was verge.com. Okay. Well, so we were, this is my, this is not news. There was WWC happened this week. Yeah. The DJ Spark was reviewed. We're going to talk about all that. But first, a long digression into yes. us naming the site five <laughs> years ago. No, we wanted, this is actually Apple News, related to Apple News. We were called This Is My Next. So we're like, we should buy next.com and just call mm. the site next. It turns out. Apple owns Next.com no. oh, due to their like, you know, company-resurrecting wow. purchase of Next from Steve Jobs. They were not willing Just at that in time case they needed. to sell the domain. <laughs> I wrote like an email. I was like, hey, guys, <laughs> uh, this is actually not about <laughs> review units. I was wondering if we could buy Next.com. <laughs> it didn't. They, they said no. Anyway, and then Verge.com was owned by another magazine company, and then The Verge was an internet ISP, like an ancient dial-up, like defunct ISP. So we you just one. bought the ISP out. And <laughs> All of their modems. we started servicing. There's actually a closet full of Sportster 50, 56K modems that we, <laughs> we got in the deal. Anyway, look, uh, it's the Vergecast. It's starting. I'm Neil I. Patel. You might have noticed Jake Kastronakis is here. Hello. Thank you for having me. Teeter Bone is on the phone. Hey. Hello. How have we never made that rhyme before? Uh, <laughs> We're never going to make it again. <laughs> you, We'll see. <laughs> and Paul Miller is here. Hello. Uh, I really wanted to have Lauren Good on the show because she was at WWC with you guys. Yes. I, I couldn't make it this year, so she was there. Uh, well, well, all of you were there. Um, but I'm actually going on Lauren's show, too embarrassed to ask, to talk about WWC. And we're taping that like two hours from now. So I, so Lauren should be here. But we're, if you want to hear Lauren and I talk about WWC, tune into her show. Carol will be there. It'll be fun. But anyway, we got here's our crew. Dieter, Jake, you were at Dub Dub. Jake, yep. this was your first Apple event. Th this is also the first time that I found out that people just colloquially call it Dub Dub, <laughs> which I'm not on board with. <laughs> people do not do that, like, elsewhere. And yeah. I've, I swear I've not heard that outside. They, of they will break you. I so fought it as well. Somebody had a shirt that said Dub Dub yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. Why? I also fought this. I is WWE that hard to... Yes. Well, first of all, yes. And two... They will just, you can't fight it. Mm. Yeah, like the next, no. it just happens. Not happening. It's like, it's like calling them neck buds. It's just, it, there's no way around it. Yeah, you just have to take it. Anyway, but it was your first Apple event. Yeah, it was. It was first Apple event, period. Um, it was crazy because I've been obviously watching the keynotes streamed for years yeah. and years and years. The in-person experience is dramatically different. It is, like, so energetic and also very hectic at times. Mm -hmm. Just enormous amounts of people all trying to get to the same space at once, but also a ton of, like, actual in-person energy. It's, yeah. it's very strange. And is the energy coming from the developers or from the stage? They're definitely, like, playing off each other once you get into the room, but it's it's weird because, like, by the end, I think people are, like, wiped out. Like, I, I was, like, sweating. I had to unbutton my shirt. Um, but then, I, I, I don't know, there's, like, the, this buzz going on once people have stuff to talk about. Um, 
after the uh, the entire yeah. event is done. No, it's like a, it was. We this is the first one I haven't gone to in ages. Mm. So I was here in the office, and I my body was having like physical reactions. <laughs> like I was all ready to live blog. I was all like I was hearing music. And I was like I don't have anything to do. So what I did instead was I incessantly bothered Jake. Uh, about the photos yeah, he no, was Yeah, no, was like, it, it, it's as though we were like in a sports car and I'm driving and he was like, pedal to the metal, got it, Get faster, faster. Like seriously, he, he does every 30 seconds, he'd be like, crank the shutter speed, yeah. don't be afraid, you can do this. That's, uh, that's accurate, that's super, super accurate. Anyway, let's talk about the news. A huge show, that's enough fridge digression. Um, but here's five more minutes of Verge domain name purchase <laughs> history. No, no, let's talk about the news. Tons of news. We got to start with it. HomePod. HomePod. Dieter, you, under some very strange rules, were allowed to listen to the HomePod. But tell us yes. what it is and what happened in the small room that you were ushered into and out of. So the HomePod is a speaker, and I'm actually at a loss to describe the size of it. Um, it's, I said it was the size of like two grapefruit stacked, but it might be a little bit bigger than that. And it's a speaker that is basically designed for music. And then Apple's like, oh wait, we should put Siri on here too. Uh, or at least that's my impression. Cause they talked about music in, you know, forever and talked about the quality of the speakers and the seven tweeters and one big subwoofer and blah, 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 blah. It's not big. It's, it's not even a subwoofer. It's a four inch woofer. They call it a, a high excursion woofer. woofer. I will tell you it produces more bass than it has any right to, given its size. Those are audio tricks made by the A8 chip driving seven independent tweeters. Oh, my God. That's my, that's We're gonna my get firm into this belief. In a minute. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it is a speaker, which I think, at least in the control demo in which I heard it, sounds pretty good, where they're doing lots of audio jiggery-pokery. Yeah. It also is a Siri smart speaker. Um, the interesting thing about what they're doing with Siri, it felt really tacked on in the keynote and we haven't seen it demoed. Um, it has, and we should talk about this, it has a thing on the top that isn't an LCD, but does appear to be a touch panel and does light up. So I guess it's like a one pixel touchscreen. Um, <laughs> one gigantic pixel. Yeah. Uh, but it does like the little Siri waveform. Um, and, but it's what Apple is doing is somewhere sort of in between what uh, Amazon is doing with Alexa where you like they'll just let anybody do anything and figure out your keywords and you're on your own and Google is trying to make Google Home into basically like the web where like you nothing gets like specifically programmed into it you don't turn on apps you just ask for what you want and it like goes out onto the internet and tries to figure it out uh, Apple's in the middle where they say they're going to have uh, specific quote unquote domains of things that Siri can do and those include like setting alarms checking the weather setting a timer Asking a general question about, you know, how tall is LeBron James, you know, stuff like that. Um, what's not clear is how how many of those domains are going to be open to third-party developers and how quickly they're going to expand it into other stuff like, I don't know, Spotify. Yeah. Uh, you you can play Spotify over AirPlay 2. Um, and as far as I know, the only difference between AirPlay and AirPlay 2 is there's a 2 on the end of uh, the word. There are literally no technical documentation. I mean, look, I will say this. Before we talk about the rest of WBC, there's a whole conference still going on. There's yes. sessions. Developers are learning things. Apple's redesigned its documentation site, and I think it looks pretty nice. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> there's a bunch of – they Stuff. didn't say it. It's not particularly public right now. But I will say the amount of time they spent on AirPlay 2 as a concept was yeah. nil, right? Yeah. Like, they just announced that there's AirPlay 2 now. 
Well, AirPlay 2, I think the thing that's new in AirPlay 2 is like the speakers become aware of what room they're in and aware of each other. So if you have two HomePods, they can turn into stereo speakers and you can tell the HomePods you're in the living room and I have another one in the bedroom. And then AirPlay 2 can manage where the sound is going you know, what room it's in and if how many speakers are in each of those rooms. The other thing that's interesting about AirPlay 2 is it's on the Apple TV properly. So you can now like stream music more easily to the Apple TV if, you know, when it's hooked up to your TV. There's like, yeah, and, and, also and they have, aware you know, there are third party speakers with AirPlay 2 just as there were third party speakers with AirPlay. But like yep. a large open question about AirPlay 2 is whether they have rethought it conceptually to match what. Google Cast does or Spotify Connect does, which is yep. instead of you streaming bits of audio from your phone to a speaker, what you're actually doing is sending a URL and the speaker right. is retrieving that URL from the internet and playing it back, which has, yep. at least in my experience, proven to be a much more robust idea for how we should control things. Google yep. Cast has wacky problems where your phone forgets that it ever said that mm -hmm. it like yep. gaslights you like, it's like <laughs> i don't know i didn't tell anyone to play any music i whatever um and then you have to like for you just have to pretend that you know what you're doing um yep. anyway the home pod but but, like, but no but i want to no, finish airplay two for one second all of that is confusing because of what you're about to say which is that the home pod is a computer it has an a8 chip in it yes and it has siri so you can tell it to play the music right but right now, I believe it only directly supports Apple Music when you tell it to play the music. Sure, but it still has, it still has to know like the URL taxonomy of Apple Music. So when you say play a song, it understands yes. how to find sure. it. Is the Bowers and Wilkins speaker that has AirPlay two going to do the same thing? Very unclear. That's true. I have no idea. Right. So like that's kind of the the open issue with AirPlay 2, at least in my yeah, I think I think AirPlay 2 has nothing to do with like asking Siri to do stuff. AirPlay 2, if you have a speaker with AirPlay 2, that doesn't make it a smart speaker. Mm -hmm. it, if you have a speaker with AirPlay 2, it means you can send music to it, and we don't know if it means it's grabbing the URL or not. Right. But if you have a speaker with Google Cast or Spotify Connect, and you sent, tell it to play a song, it will go fetch the song. Correct. Because so, it's a Wi-Fi speaker, and so is the HomePod. Yeah. Um, the, so the demo that I heard was a HomePod up against Alexa playing over Bluetooth and up against a Sonos that I feel pretty strongly was um, mistuned. Uh, but I like obviously I can't prove that. I don't I don't want to um, accuse uh, you know Apple who set up the demo of intentionally like nerfing the the Sonos. It was a, it was a Sonos three. Um, but you know, obviously the HomePod sounded better cause that's, that was the intention of the demo. Um, but like we actually do need to test it out ourselves. Yeah. Uh, in terms of sound, like here are the two interesting things. I already mentioned that if you separate, if you have two of them, it'll do like proper stereo separation and like you really hear it. Um, if you just have one in the room, Apple is not using those seven tweeters around in a circle to like send um, you know, some music to the right, some music to the left. What it does is it, it listens to the audio that's playing and then it can guess the shape of the room based on, you know, the echoes. And then it will send different frequencies of the music to different tweeters to try and create a more like bigger immersive sound. And uh, the terminology here is very fuzzy, but it's like, if there's a song with like strong vocals and a piano, they'll shoot the piano to bounce off the back wall so it sort of feels like it's ambient and they'll beamform the vocals directly into the center of the room so you can hear them a little bit more crispy, crisp, crisply. Yeah. Dieter and I got into a huge argument. 
We got a huge argument. I will say, like, (laughs) it sounds good, but if, like, you care very much about, like, tweaking exactly how your surround sound works and where, like, different things come from, you're probably not going to be happy because Apple's made very specific audio choices with this thing that's probably going to please the vast majority of people. But if you're the kind of person who, like, actually has, you know, eight speakers in your living room and a subwoofer and you, like, like tune them all and do all the crap with them. Uh, it's probably going to annoy you. Th- this to me is, I am that person is very yes. exciting, but it, I also would be really annoyed by it. Like, like this is like showing up at somebody's house and their, their, their TV is on 120 Hertz. <laughs> it's like, I get it. It's doing more. Yeah. It's showing it's, you so many more. Streams. There's more technology happening. Yeah. It's not what it's supposed to be. I'm just going to turn this off. <laughs> I'm just going to. There's a waste uh, of We but, had a but, whole conversation about when it's accept, like how good of a friend yeah, you need yeah, to yeah. be to turn that off for somebody. Well, the, the, the link will be in the show notes, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the, but this idea, like a lot more can be done with this like room mapping because the best way to listen to music is two speakers, two nice bookshelf speakers with an amplifier that are aimed pretty much at your head and you sit at a fixed distance from them and one kind of hits your one ear and one kind of hits the other ear more or less. And that's because that's what they, the people in studios do to like engineer music. And so we, you can hear music how it was engineered and so you actually hear what it was supposed to sound like. But there's but if you aren't doing that, music is bouncing around your room and it's messing up. Yeah. So there is real potential for like a detailed map of a room and understanding the materials in a room and really good bounce shots to actually make and like also tracking where you are to make music. Yeah. Like sound really good. I'm just going to briefly say a thing and then watch Paul and Neil's head explode. I fundamentally think that the um, the myth of the author, of authorial intent, uh, also applies to audio. And the idea that we should try and perfectly match whatever an engin- sound engineer heard is ridiculous. Uh, you experience music in the moment you hear it in the same way you experience a book in a, your own particular context. And trying to get back to the perfect intent of what the person who created the thing was is a mistake. But... I, I, that is wrong, like a well wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I agree with you. I just think uh, this is going to get really weird. That is like very rockist. Like you're having an argument with like a, an imaginary rockist from the past. That's not how modern music is made at all, right? Like Bruno Mars keeps an Escalade in his driveway <laughs> to master his albums on because he knows most people. He's like, there's a great Rolling Stone profile of him where he's like, I need a new car, but I'm going to keep this car forever. Because this is the car that I make my music in, right? Like they're not—they know that people listen to it on shit headphones. They know yeah. that people listen to it on a laptop speakers. Like the 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 goal of the audio engineer is to like make it sound good wherever you are. So there, there's a little like that's a modern. I don't know. Like Jimmy Plant was like, you have to buy the speakers. <laughs> like yeah. that's like a yeah. whole well, that's a whole thing in the past. But I, my, I my, love I love that I've thrown this firebomb into Neil's brain, and he wants to move on and talk about the iPad, and he just can't. I think you put no, an exact wanna, right I, framework, but we don't have to argue all day. But you you, you put you teed it up right. But, but there are some like questions about what it's doing, and then we should we have to talk about Siri on this yeah, thing. That's actually more important. But in terms of what it's doing with sound. It's got these seven tweeters. It can be informed the tweeters. Mm. Lots of things can do that, right? Like that is not a particularly novel – like you can buy a Yamaha soundbar with like 
140 speakers in it, mm. and it can create surround sound in your home. It can do virtual seven channels. The Sonos that they had in there, every Sonos has True Tone, which I believe was designed to make you appear to be a complete buffoon because you you start it, and then it's the speaker starts chirping at you, and you are supposed to walk around your room with your phone, <laughs> and there's a video, and you're just waving it, the phone up and down in the air as you like do laps of your room, mm-hmm. and your phone collects all the data uh, and sends it back, and it tunes it. So like, tuning the speaker to sound good in a room has been done. It's probably a little bit clunkier than this because it sounds like Apple is doing it in real time. Mm-hmm. Creating virtual sound spaces with a single speaker has been done probably a little bit clunkier because you, you know this only has seven tweeters. So there's, I just have a lot of questions about what methods they're using, if they represent massive changes over existing methods, and fundamentally, if like that sounds good, like if that sounds the way you want. I think they're banking on people trusting Apple to make something that sounds the way they want it to sound. Right. No, I, I, I don't doubt it. It's just the way that they're talking about it is though no one has ever sure. considered using multiple drivers to tune audio to a room mm. is very Apple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, this is very Apple. But there are, there are known issues with doing that. So, like, I have seven speakers in my house, and if I play music and turn on virtual surround, it will do the thing. It will wrap the vocals to the center speaker. It'll play some guitar tinkles over the back speakers. Does that sound better than just two speakers? Ha- has that been done in this kind of solo form, though? Like, what you're describing is mostly stuff to augment your TV, or multi-piece uh, mm-hmm. surround sound systems. Like, a- Apple, yeah, it can do stereo, but I feel like they're pitching this as, like, hey, you kind of want a speaker that's going to sound good, like, somewhere in your house. Just buy yeah. this. Don't think about it. Yeah. If uh, I have an w- Apple TV, can I replace my sound bar with this thing? That, and have the Apple TV route all the audio to it? Completely unknown. <laughs> please, so like, again, please do that. So there's, like, a lot of unknowns there. And that's just the audio side. We have yet to talk about... The Siri side and the controls on top of the thing. Oh, but but Neil, it's it, it's not Siri. I mean, it's Siri, but don't think of Siri as an assistant. Think think of Siri as a musicologist. <laughs> oh I, I know uh, we just had this conversation, but but I, I, it's almost unacceptable to me. I, I'm not going to talk to your assistant if your assistant has multiple personalities, depending on which device I've picked up to talk to that. Like my mom is my mom with her emailer, texter, caller. Talk to her in person. It's the same person. Yeah. She doesn't get different capabilities depending on which no. device she had. <laughs> or different interests. <laughs> no, it's true. Passions. If your mom's in a car, she's a driver. You can't be like driving to the store if your mom's in a plane. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I can't be driving to the store. If, if your mom's, mom's in a car, you can you tell her to drive you to the store. But if your mom's in like a passenger on a plane, you can't you be like, driving to the store. You're right. I take all <laughs> Depending on what she's in. This is this is way off the rails. If you, Paul, but she's the same woman. Well, if you're in this room, I can be like, please podcast with me. But if you and I were like in a bar, I couldn't be like, let's start podcasting. Yeah, it's called the anchor. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> all right. Anyway, Peter, keep going. That's all I got. Hmm. hmm. I'm gonna it make has Siri. Siri work. does different things. I don't know what to tell you. Like, so, it has Siri. They they all, they're, they're focusing more on like. It can like plug into Apple TV's like smart playlists. It's unclear if they're any different than Apple Music on your phone. I don't really think they are. Um, and then you can ask it assistant stuff. And to me, the most interesting part of this is I think they said it was coming out in December. Is that right? Yes. When is the speaker yeah. coming out? It's coming up. Yeah. And that is unclear. But they obviously want it out for the holidays. Yeah. And it's 350 bucks. Right. So that's a price worth talking about. Um, 
they're the way that Phil Schiller did the math on stage was made no sense. It say. made a little bit of sense. They're like he pointed out the Sonos plate. He brought up both the Sonos and the Echo on a slide on stage, and he was like, "The Sonos costs like two ninety nine, um, and the Echo costs one oh nine. And if you just add that together, you get three twenty nine. Like that was basically that was his math, yeah. right? Um, and he's like, "And our price is better." But obviously, those are like radically different products. It is worth noting, although it's the prices are close, so it's fair to compare. But it is worth noting. The Sonos Play 3 is their oldest product, generally regarded as the worst-sounding Sonos product. The Play 1, I think, sounds better. But I don't think that's why people buy Amazon Echoes. I don't think they buy it for great music. I don't think that's why people got Google Home. When they announced the Google Home, Google said it sounds better than the Echo, literally because anything can sound better than the Echo. Okay, so, so that's a really good question, though, right? If Apple is selling a speaker, how many people want a $350 speaker? Right, people, I think a lot of people want a three hundred. A three hundred fifty dollars. I feel like people just want like a speaker. How many people are gonna? I, I don't know. I don't, the, the UE Mega Boom is like one of the most popular Bluetooth speakers. It is two ninety nine, right? Like uh, Apple stores are like wall to wall full of two hundred to four hundred dollars speakers. It just seems like a very hard sell if you're like, well, I can get uh, an Echo for what one seventy nine. It does basically the same thing. It's clear to me now that we have no idea how much the, of the Amazon Echo because they're always changing. <laughs> they are, the the classic like the the Bose Wave Radio I feel like is the classic item in this genre mm. that was then like the the iPod Hi Fi was was three hundred fifty but the Bose Wave Radios have been around that price. My one thing is people like these like little pill Bluetooth speakers they carry around. Also, a lot more people than right now than ever have wireless headphones. Yeah. And in their home are listening to music on headphones. Yeah, I, I, I think those are just deeply different use cases. Like, I think being able to say to an Echo or a home right now, hey, play some music, is really valuable. That's true. Being able to say that and then have the music sound great is really valuable. You know when the Echo got really useful? When they turned on Spotify by default, right? And I, yeah. I think I've said this on the show like a hundred times. Apple Music is great. It's actually the thing I use. I have no problem with this thing defaulting to Apple Music. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it has become – I need to write this post. Maybe now is a good peg for it. Like, is it the big fonts that really push you over the edge? a huge font. No, it's the only service that respects the idea that you might have local music. Oh, right. And it's the only mu- the service that like, respects the idea that you have a collection, a library. Mm. Right? Spotify is like totally playlist-based. Title is like very confusing in my mind. Um, But, like, Apple is just really good at saying this is your library, Mm -hmm. right? And whether that library is in the cloud or on your phone, it it all logically is the same thing. And then it's good at saying here is a view of your library as it exists on your phone, which is very useful to me because I'm always on a train or a plane. Um, So I'm fine with that. But that means their total addressable market for this product is, like, 27 million Apple Music people, which is not the normal size of an Apple market. Right. Right. Like, the Apple market usually is, like, all 6 billion people on Earth will eventually have this product, right? So they have to figure that out. They have to figure out how to get Siri to address Spotify, which maybe they could do. Or they have to figure out how to make Apple Music much bigger. And maybe that is going to happen because everyone is going to want this product. But that little part of the loop, it, to me, is not closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, the whole HomeKit side of what Siri can do with this thing 
again, it's WWC, so they're rolling out new things. I think, Jake, you talked to them about HomeKit probably a little bit. I did not actually catch up with them on this stuff, but they, they talked about it a little bit on stage. So I, I think it can control all the basic stuff that your phone can control for HomeKit. Yeah. It's it's a general HomeKit controller, which is nice. It's a nice bonus, but I, I'm, I also think that, like, Unlike the Echo Dot, which you can just put, like, a ton of them around your house if you have a bunch of smart home stuff, I don't imagine that people are going to have, like, a ton of these things in their home because they're $350 speakers, and you don't need a $350 speaker in every room. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that makes the, the smart home proposition a little bit harder. What, what happens if you say, hey, Siri, I'm sure this has been solved. I just thought of it now. What happens if you say, hey, Siri in your phone and your speaker right there. Do they both try to answer Oh, no, you? Apple, they talked about this. I, I heard, I think, Craig Fegery and Phil Schiller were on Gruber's podcast, John Gruber's podcast. They do the same thing as Google. They just do it locally. Hmm. So every device listens to you, and then they negotiate as to which one's closest to you, and one lights up. So they, they know that's a problem. This is like Apple's thing, right? They're trying to do as much yeah. of this locally as they can. Which I appreciate. Yeah, and, that, and that's to save your privacy and all this. Wait, but if they're choosing which one... Not all series can do the same things. Mm. Right. Some mm. series are oh on a boat. God. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Some series are on a plane. Are a mom on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, who knows? Right? I, like, I, I find it very puzzling that the Siri and HomePod is more limited than the series elsewhere. That does not make sense to me. But the Siri and Apple Google does the same limited. thing, though. Google's, like, notoriously doing the same thing with the Home. Like, what you could, like, up until... Very recently, like you couldn't like set a reminder on the Google, yeah, right. you couldn't like make a calendar appointment because well, they had right. to enable multiple voices, and we have no idea right. if HomePod will support multiple voices. That is a great point. No one knows. Um, yep. Dieter, can you talk about the top of the HomePod? Can you address this burbling controversy that exists in our world? <laughs> uh, I have seen two different versions of the top of the HomePod. The version they showed on stage and the version they had in the big public demo room had um, a circular, like glowy zone that like waves around a little bit. It almost looks like, imagine like if you were trying to project like that classic Siri waveform with like a literal projector, mm-hmm. like underneath it, it kind of looks like that. So it like it moves, but it's not like a screen. Um, I saw another version, which was clearly more pre-production that had a giant plus and minus button on top of it. And I was like, well, what's the deal with that? And uh, I'm told that like you will be able to adjust the volume directly on the thing. You don't just have to ask Siri. So it will be a touch panel. Uh, I, it's unclear if you're going to be tapping those zones or if you're going to like, you know, rotate your finger on it like you do on the Google Home. But it looks to me like what it is is a touch panel that lights up. Yeah, on the website. you know when it's active. On Apple's website, it says you can touch the top for volume and playback. Yeah. So, yeah. But we don't know. But it, we don't know if it's Will it be screen. zones? Will it be? I don't think it's a screen. It doesn't look like a screen to me. Right. So you'd say, hey, the Siri. The thing doesn't until December. They could change their mind. But it looks like a touch panel that lights up, and uh, but it can't like literally show you information other than like, I'm here and listening. Yeah. It might have a couple different states. Like it might turn blue or, or you know whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's a very simplistic It's thing. not going to display. What is a screen, really? It, yeah. Well, <laughs> no. This is like there's an argument out in the world, right? Like yeah. The Echo Show came out with the touchscreen. Then there was a bunch of rumors about the HomePod that said it won't have a screen. Phil Schiller has said we don't think these devices or we think these devices should have a screen. Uh, and then now it has a display. Mm-hmm. And we are arguing semantically over whether that qu- constitutes well, a the, screen. The Echo has, has a display. Right. Yeah. 
Right, the light. Yeah, it's got a ring of yeah. lights, but it, and then it changes color. It provides information, and in fact, it's a lot easier to see information on the side of a thing than on the top of a thing. It, so, the top so you're of the saying the echo is a touchscreen? Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. It, I think the HomePod is slightly domed on top. Is, is it that is slightly right? domed. Yes, you can yep. sort of see it okay. from the side. Yeah. But my, my point but here, regardless of this very entertaining semantic argument, is what most people think of a touchscreen is a, like the iPhone screen, right? A big display that shows you interface elements that you can touch and interact with. Or like a palm trio. Yeah, or like a palm trio. <laughs> uh, this does not appear Nobody to thinks have, that. This does not appear to have that. Right. right. Why didn't right. they put a physical keyboard on the HomePod? That's what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it doesn't. It doesn't have a line in. That is true. It does not it's, have a line in. Are you kidding? Oh, well, no. Of course, it doesn't have a line <laughs> of course in. What are you talking about? Wait, like, but does it have like light? It doesn't have in? Bluetooth. Does it have USB? No, it's AC powered. And it doesn't have Bluetooth. I, from what we know at so. this moment, it does not have Bluetooth. So the the ways you can get this thing to play music are limited to Siri activating Apple Music. Locally on the thing, yep. which is fine. So it definitely couldn't work as a home movie speaker. No, but it has AirPlay too. Oh, well, of course. So <laughs> yeah. whatever that is, yeah. But that the, this, may work. this gets to Neil's point that the addressable market for this thing are iPhone users that have Apple Music or are willing to switch to Apple Music mm-hmm. right now. Like, if you're an Apple Music user on Android, first of all, uh, call me. I'm, I'm very curious to hear what your life is like. It's great. Um, I love it. Okay. I love everything about it. It's like, well, sorry for your luck. Like, this thing is not designed for you. It's designed for iPhone people. And that's fine. That's like, that's that's a totally legitimate thing for Apple to do. But um, Wait, it is you, curious. Can you clarify? Because you, you can't set it up without an iPhone. Well, you maybe could, but you can't, you can't say, hey, Siri, play some music unless it's like you could, I guess you could set it up without an iPhone, but like, then you can't play Spotify on it. Right. Cause you can't right. airplay. If you have an Android phone it. with Apple music, right. The right. step yeah. between you taking this thing out of a box and pairing it to your Wi-Fi is unclear hmm. because the setup they demoed was like, you wave your iPhone near it and it takes the pairing information. But if you have Apple music, the thing will work. So you could, you could buy Apple music just for this thing. Here's what I'm trying to get the audience to understand. This thing looks neat. Wait. Yeah. It is just an endless series of questions about how it will work in practice after that. And yep. Dieter's heard one demo, it sounded great. That's cool. But all of the little bits and pieces that make it work in your life are kind of trailing off into question marks. Would you say it's the size of a basketball or smaller? No, it's smaller than a basketball. Like a woman's basketball? Smaller than that. Hmm. I feel like I should read an ad. Yeah. And then we should talk about iOS. Or High Sierra, or the new iPads, or the new Macs, or the iMac Pro. There's so many things. All right, this episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by Norton. Do you have the internet at home? I'm just guessing you do. Just, it's just, um, if you're listening to the show, I bet you do. If you do, then chances are you have a Wi-Fi router. And if you have a Wi-Fi router, that means cyber criminals can hack into your home network, including your Wi-Fi, to access your credit card information that may be stored on your laptop or the family photos saved on your phone. They could even tap into your baby monitor, which is pretty creepy. Well, Norton by Symantec, the leader in digital security for over 30 years, has built a secure Wi-Fi router called the Norton Core. Norton Core has a stylish exterior, but underneath it is a powerful security technology that helps turn your home Wi-Fi network into a digital fortress. Norton Core discovers personal connected devices, identifies vulnerabilities, 
and helps secure them. If a device is breached, Core quarantines the device so it eliminates the threat. Norton Core also features parental controls that let you decide when and where your kids go on the internet. And Norton Core contains a 1.7 gigahertz dual core processor to help deliver blazing fast internet speeds. So get the security needed at the speed you want from Norton Core. Go to norton.com slash vergecast. Save $30 if you pre-order the core before July 1st. That's norton.com slash vergecast. So before we come back to the, the show uh, and Apple News, I wanted to make sure we talked to Ben Popper about the DJI Spark, uh, which is DJI's newest drone. It's $500. It's super cool. Uh, ben did a whole review of it. So we're going to talk to Ben for 15 minutes or so, and we'll come back, finish up with all the Apple news. A little break. Just pure gadget bliss with Ben Popper. All right. I have Ben Popper. Hello, everybody. How's it going? This is a special interlude. That's right. Drone. We, did, we did a Vlad interlude a couple days ago, but the Vlad interlude was like free association right. with Vlad. Yes. But you... I have I a product to talk about. A product that is so interesting and important to me <laughs> that I wanted to interrupt the WWDC VergeCast special. That's right. And do this segment just focused on it. DJI Spark. It's a magical little product. I had it here in the office. I know it attracted your attention. And then we had Ezra Klein from Voxen, and you kind of like wanted to show it off to him because it's I wanted fun to, to show it off, off to everybody. That's, that's the experience of it. So you're taking it out and... You can just sort of like pull it out of a pocket. Like yeah. nobody knows you have a drone. You're like, oh, I have a drone. They're like, whoa. <laughs> and then you like put it in your hand. You're like, you want, you, want, you want to see it? And they're like, what do you mean? You just like take off from your hand. Yeah. And then you go into Jedi mode and you start moving it around. Yeah. And then immediately they're like, well, can I try? And yeah. you're like, yeah, you can do that. And then somebody who knows nothing about technology or drones like puts their hands up and then they're like flying a drone. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's amazing. Poor Ezra. He. I mean, obviously, Vox.com is <laughs> like in the middle of the most morale-draining right. administration in political history, and he—we're just like playing with drones, and, right. he, and he goes, "Man, The Verge the just Verge. has the most fun." Hey, it's good for traffic, Esther. <laughs> Trump air is good for traffic. It's Can't true. complain. Tell the listener like what this product is and like sure. why. What is going on at DJI? Sure. So you know, DJI uh, back in 2013 released the Phantom, which was kind of the first drone that made it pretty easy to fly. Or that's what it felt like in 2013. You took it out of the box. You didn't have to, like, assemble it or, like, screw something on or, you know, fix some crazy wires. And then you got it up in the air, and it could do some smart things like hover in place and, you know, go out and then return to home. This is the first Phantom. The first Phantom. Um, And so everyone's like, wow, that's such an accessible consumer product. Now, you know, fast forward to 2017, and the Phantom looks like this crazy big thing that you would only use if you were professional. Yeah. And you've got, uh, you know, the DJI Mavic that came out in March of last year. And everyone was like, wow, this drone is so small and accessible. You know, like, I, you know, we, we, we've really come a long way. And then, you know, six months later, you've got the Spark. And you're <laughs> like, wow, this thing is like the size of a cell phone, the weight of a soda can. And, like, you can fly it with no remote and no phone. Yeah. Like, we're getting closer and closer to that sort of, like, actual consumer drone, meaning like any consumer could pick it up and use it yeah. with no training and get some interesting results and really some really great results. I mean, I would say like, this is the drone that finally DJI was like, all right, we're going to compromise a little. Like we're going to have worse video quality, less range. A couple of things we'll have to cut back if we yeah. want to hit a $500 price point and, you know, 300 gram weight. So like with the Mavic, they made it smaller and they did all those things, but actually it was like arguably better than the Phantom at the time. Like, I had more range, you know, more so features, all that stuff. Because yeah. I bought a Phantom 4, like, three weeks before Sorry, the Mavic came out. My fault. Uh. We always have a few things in the reviews closet for you to take out on the weekends. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, I think this is one that where it works just as well, maybe even arguably better as kind of a toy. Like, yeah. the best way to use it is the, you know, pull it out, 
fly it in gesture mode, snap some great selfies, and you're done. You know, you can then extend that connected by Wi-Fi to the phone and get more epic stuff. They're eventually going to sell it with a remote, and you could fly it a mile and a half off, which I would never do with a drone this small because it will never come back to you. Maybe yeah. it will. But, you know, like you're starting to be able to and, – and this is, feels like one you could definitely use indoors. You know, like it's right. very it's very safe. It's very And we've small. been flying it indoors a ton. Constantly. We're flying all over the office. Yeah. It feels like the kind of thing you're going to see at like clubs in Miami or something, right? Like people are just going to be like, you know, like over the dance floor, take the picture or whatever. Um and, you know, like I watch um, WWDC and there's obviously new product, you know, the speaker coming out that I think, you know, might do well, might do poorly, who knows. But like, it's interesting. It's new product or whatever. But like, I didn't really see any like, you know, it didn't make big leaps over other smart speakers or whatever, you know, with drones. And I, I think this is probably really something you know a lot about. Phones for a while got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then we were like, got to a point where we're like, well, we kind of want to put screens on them. Yeah. Let's make them like bigger and bigger and bigger. We like figured out, well, there's a certain size of phone and screen that you want and, mm-hmm. and you don't want to make it any smaller then you know you're like kind of missing out with drones we haven't really hit the point where we're like well we don't want to make them any smaller so yeah. like the phantom came out then the phantom 4 came out then the mavic came out that was half the size of the phantom and then the spark came out that was half the size of the mavic they they could definitely and probably will make a like a little matchbox sized nano drone well, for this coming christmas knocked over in the wind i mean even the the spark in i watched your review video today right. that you can see the shake from the wind yeah, you know, again, like, right, it, it kind of depends on what you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, f- you know, if you're flying indoors, the Nano is going to be ideal. Yeah. I, I, yeah, a drone that small probably not going to want to fly it outdoors. There's, there's always a trade-off, right? Like, the smaller drone has less battery life. It has less range. But um, you might actually end up using it a lot more. Like, that was my experience with the Spark was, like, I ended up using it every day, which I don't think I've done with the drone before yeah. because, like, I could always just throw it in my bag. I went to the acupuncture for my, like, pinched nerve. She was like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a you know, tech reporter. What are, you, what are you working on? Oh, drone review. And I was like, you want to see? And I like pulled it out right there in the acupuncture office and like launched it. <laughs> and then she flew it in just, I mean, you know, like, and then it was just kind of this amazing moment. I was like, this is a drone. Here you go. I mean, to me, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. So I, I have a Phantom 4. I love it. It's the most fun. Right. But it is a huge project. Right. To take it out, charge the massive battery. Plug the iPad into the controller. Totally. Launch the – it's like – it's not complicated. It's just many steps. Right. And then when you launch it, like, it's an event, right? And people are afraid to fly it. And I – it's again, I love the thing, um, but it's big and heavy and it's a project. This seems like not a project. Yeah. I mean, I think we're still learning sort of like what is the optimal form factor for a drone that the most people will use. Like, mm-hmm. for some people – for I mean, an interesting comparison would be – for $499, the price of the Spark, you could also now get the Phantom 3 standard. Yeah. So if you wanted a drone that goes really far and has a three-axis gimbal and shoots you know, 2.7K video, you can get that for 500 bucks. Yeah. But you might not use it that much, and you might not want that. If you want the drone that does like great selfies and is safe to fly indoors and can be controlled with your hand, go get the Spark, right? Like it's the exact same price point. So really now you have just a choice of you know, what lifestyle, like what, you know, what are you looking to accomplish with this drone? Um, and I, I guess you know, the other thing I would say is like, <laughs> the the spark is um, something where I feel safe flying it around people, and I mm-hmm. don't always feel that way with the Phantom. You know, like yeah. you have to get people to like give you a lot of room, and that makes it like less. It just makes it more difficult to use. It's less social. It's not as fun. You know, yeah. like you don't want to like crash into somebody. You don't want to injure somebody. Um, and that's not the way I feel when I'm using the spark. You mentioned the power up thing, so I w- I took the spark on a trip, and I'm halfway there, and I'm like, oh my god, I forgot. The wall charger. Normally, yeah. that would mean one one flight, and then I'm you know I'm done for the weekend, vacation ruined or whatever. This one you can just charge up with a micro USB. They had yeah. that at the house. What, what is the battery life on this thing? 
60, it's rated for 16 minutes. If you put it in the air and just hovered it there, you would get 16 minutes. If you're actually flying it around, probably more like 14 minutes. And then if there's strong winds, 10 to 12 minutes. Yeah. Um, and how long does it take to charge over like? So know, in the wall, charger. it takes 45 minutes. Okay. And then with the micro USB, it takes more like two or three hours. Wow. Um, so, you know, like use it, drive somewhere or use it and charge it overnight with the micro USB. But you could have the Spark and three batteries and it would still be less weight than the Mavic, right? So you could bring a whole bunch of batteries with you and they sell it with a charger that does um, three batteries at once. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people who bought the Mavic. Uh, they love the Mavic. Um, what's interesting to me is they most people mostly use the Mavic the same way they use the Phantom. It's just right. a little more convenient. This, to me, feels like a, I don't know, not a, quite a step change, but a, a massive enabling change where... I don't, the classic Phantom footage is over a beach, right. in the mountains, right. following a car down a twisty lane. Right. This feels like the footage is going to be another type of, enti- of footage entirely. Yeah, I think Because I right. wouldn't feel comfortable sending this out over the ocean. Right. The way that a Phantom, you're like, yeah, go find some dolphins. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's totally right. I mean, I think you can see the limitations. So, like, they have a bunch of pre-programmed shots on there. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll do the, fl- the classic droney flyaway, the rocket up in the air, the circle around you, or th- what I like to call, like, the Michael Bay, like, ever-expanding, you know, helix of helix of epicness. Um, but if you use those pre-programmed shots with the Wi-Fi and the phone, the remote actually isn't available for purchase yet, it often just disconnects. Like, it starts doing the cool move, and then it gets about two, 300 feet away, and it's like... Oops, got to come back home now, you know, and and it comes back home really safely and it lands perfectly. But, you know, if you're a beginner, that's like a terrifying moment. And even if you're not, that's kind of annoying that like it doesn't know its own limitations. Right. Like I feel like it should get out there. And if it's like, well, I'm about to lose signal, it should probably stop doing what it's doing and like, you know, give you give you the chance to check in and maybe change. But, yeah, I think that that is definitely you you sort of nailed it, which is to say, like, the Mavic did just what the fandom did with a, with a really cool form factor that was much smaller. And the Mavic is now going to be sort of like their leading consumer drone. The Phantom, they're moving up to be like a more professional thing, charging more by adding like more sensors and higher end cameras and all this jazz. And then the Spark is, you know, way more of a consumer drone, almost a toy. And I think that, uh, you know, their strategy now is let's get as many products in the market as possible at different price points. And then you're going to find, you know, one that matches you. And then you're going to be in the DJI ecosystem and maybe end up buying more than one. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's where I want to end this. DJI, I was just at the code conference. Um, Intel was there. Yes. They were showing off a bunch of their drone stuff. Um, they have a super cool industrial drone. It is probably the coolest, fastest, most responsive drone I have ever flown. Right. They won't even disclose the price because you don't. <laughs> you actually don't buy the drone. Right. The people who buy this thing are like BP or Exxon buys this, right. and they fly it out over oil rigs. And Scott, you know, they mount literally. A, I'm not even kidding. A full-on Sony A7S right. to the front of this <laughs> with like a custom firmware controller. That, it, but you don't buy the drone. What you actually end up buying is like data processing right. for all the all that the drone captures. Right. And that is their market. They're very confident. They're going after it. And then right next to it, they had like unique typhoons yeah. with real sense cameras. And it just feels like that is they cannot win against DJI. No. Who is DJI's real competitor? Are they just competing against themselves? Are they going for full dominance? Are they just super excited about drones? They can't stop making them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think on the consumer side, I would say that they don't have any real competition except for themselves. I mean, like, 
you know, there will always be other options. And when, you know, people who run a hobby shop or even a Best Buy or whatever, they want to have multiple choices up on the wall. But for a long time, DJI consumer drones have been the best. Mm-hmm. On the industri- commercial sort of industrial side, DJI is now making that stuff. But I don't think that they have the expertise in terms of, right, selling to big enterprise and right. handholding and all that stuff. Like, I think on the hardware side, they're probably making enterprise drones now that are just as right. good. But yeah, I think that that is a place where a company like Intel could come in and challenge. Intel yeah. also smartly bought Movidius, which is the chip company that powers the Phantom Board, the Malik, and the Spark. So there's Intel inside, um, even though you may not yeah. know it. I mean, and I guess the other thing is like, there's just this really interesting happening where the, you know, I was mentioning how the size of the drones got smaller so quickly and the quality of the drones has gotten better and the computer, you know, imaging, computer yeah. vision. I just read this crazy story about how the Israeli defense forces, the military there, are now going to start buying Mavics and giving them out like standard to every like cohort of troops and they will learn how to use them and take them out. And that's kind of the thing where I feel like that's DJI's opportunity is if the, dr- the consumer drones get good enough, somebody might decide, hey, let's buy 100 of these $1,000 drones instead of buying one $100,000 drone and see yeah. what we can do with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I just – the Mavic in particular – it is just in that complete sweet spot. Like if you are – if you're a Vergecast listener, the Spark is fun and I'm sure you would love it if you bought it. Right. But I bet that you're just nerdy enough to want to buy the Mavic, <laughs> right? And like that's their whole game. They're yeah. just stepping you up $500 at a time bigger. I got to sell this. If you are interested in buying a Phantom 4, <laughs> just tweet at me. I've got one. It's maybe flown two dozen near times. Mint, near mint. It's in yeah, it's it's almost in perfect condition. I'll even I'll throw in an SD card. Right. I bought a I bought a foam case. Anything you want. <laughs> Just get this thing off my hands. Um, who are their competitors though? Who are DJI's competitors? Yeah, I mean, I, again with Intel, what they're right. selling is a data center. They yeah. have a great drone, but the thing they're actually selling to you is data center capability. DJI is not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, on the consumer side, they don't really have great competition. You know, where competition is coming has always been to sort of say, well, DJI hasn't been making this form factor, so let's do that. Like, Let's make the more heavy-duty, you know, rainproof drone. They haven't done that. Or in the case of CES this year, it was, hey, let's make the really small sub-$500 drone that launches from the palm of your hand. You know, DJI hasn't done that. So that's, a, you know, some yeah. greenfield we can go to. The problem is six months later, DJI <laughs> will do that. But that is your opportunity. You have a few months before DJI makes that kind of drone. You can get in there and yeah. sell some units. Well, I mean, we go to CES every year, and it's, I don't know, two years ago, everyone was just making clone, literally clones of the Phantom. Right. Is that... I mean, is it is this just another is yeah, DJI I mean, like the Facebook of drones? They're just gonna eat everyone until they Yeah, die? or the iPhone of drones when it comes yeah. to like cloning, right? The design and the look and the feel. Yeah, I mean the Phantom uh came out of nowhere. Like DJI was just like a you know, a person make a uh, company making uh flight controllers for other drone manufacturers and drones that you were supposed to attach your GoPro to, right? I mean yeah. there was this moment in time right before they released the Phantom where it's gonna be like GoPro drone made by DJI branded GoPro. And they were like, actually, maybe we should just do this ourselves. And the rest (laughs) is history. So, yeah. Poor poor GoPro. (laughs) Um, So what's what's the future? What what should people be looking forward to other than yet another smaller drone? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think the future is really the computer vision. That's the exciting part to me is that that's what enables it to do things like palm takeoff and landing and gesture control. Um, And I do think that, you know, there are some things that can't change. So like the battery life can't change. The smaller the drone gets the lower the battery life. That's a you know, constraint you have to work with. The wind, right? Like the smaller the drone, the harder it is for it to fight the wind. But the other stuff, like the processing power on board and the, you know, the computer vision, that continues to improve at such a rate that we're going to have smaller and smaller drones that can do cooler and cooler stuff. Yeah. The vision part to me seems we, it, we almost didn't talk about it enough. Yeah. Right. I mean, what, what they're able to do in that tiny, what everyone is now able to do with computer vision 
is enabling more and more and more of these things to be wilder and wilder. Anyway, again, if you'd like to buy a Phantom 4, <laughs> it's in nearly perfect condition. Right. We'll trade for Mavic. <laughs> yeah, just let me know. I'm available. Ben, thank you so much for being on, man. Of course. My pleasure. Okay. Dieter, we're back. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Let's start with the <laughs> Let's iPad. Let's talk about the iPads. Talk about the iPad. The big news is the there's a new iPad Pro. They've replaced the 9.7 with a 10.5. Um, basically, imagine an iPad and then just stretch the screen out so the bezels on the the sides, not the not the top and bottom, unless you're holding, holding it horizontally. It's really confusing. It's an iPad. You can hold it any way you want. The screen is slightly bigger. The bezels are slightly smaller. Um, and the whole device is actually slightly bigger, so you need a whole new keyboard. Um, it has the... Uh, a10X, I believe, processor. Uh, so it's a stupid fast processor. It has the same camera as an iPhone 7. That's kind of what you need to know. It also, yeah. but actually, one more thing. hertz refresh yes. rate. Oh, yeah, it's got ProMotion. No, what, it goes to, I thought it was 240. It can go up to 240. No, 120. It's, it's, no, it's 120. 120. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's, a, but it, it's the, adaptive. It's, it's adaptive, and they actually use uh, uh, an image or an ISP like you do for a camera. They use a signal processor, an image processor, to dynamically change the refresh rate based on what's on the screen. So it's not always at the max uh, refresh rate. It saves battery. I imagine it also prevents uh, motion smoothing. <laughs> um, so basically, like, and it has true tone as well. So um, bonkers good screen. A screen that's so good, I'm almost like, why are you? Why are you? You're already ahead on tablet screens. Why do you keep doing this? You could have stuck. Um, so that's the hardware side of it. And, um, you know, I held it. It's fine. It's a, it's an iPad. <laughs> um, to me, what's radically more interesting is what they did with iOS 11 for the iPad. It uh, is crazy. They added a uh, file system that is completely open. Any app developer can plug in. So Dropbox, Box, iCloud, uh, Google Drive, Which, OneDrive. to be clear, it's an app called Files. It's an app called Files, but any app can access it. Um, so it's basically just a, like, they finally decided to surface the file system. They also completely changed the interface. Um, now there's a dock, just like there is on a Mac. It's on the bottom. You swipe up from any app to display it. Uh, you can add a bunch of icons, presumably as many as you want. If you swipe up again, or if you swipe up from the home screen, which is still just a bare grid of apps, you get the new multitasking view where uh, all of your apps are laid out in a grid with the new bonkers control panel on the right. And then you can like swipe through and tap them. And because they're so like good with split view now, if you have two apps in split view, when you swipe up into that multitasking view, those two apps that you had in split view together stay together. So it's they, it's like a it's like a space. Or yeah, a they've scene. added spaces to this thing. Basically, it's spaces basically. Yeah, uh, but that means that like the classic like card thing that you swipe through is gone. It's just like these little things showing up on a grid. Um, but the last piece that's also interesting, especially when you pair it with the new file system, is they've enabled drag and drop um, in ways that are like fascinating and confusing. Uh, so you can drag and drop some stuff, but like not everything. You can drag and drop with multi-touch. So like you highlight your text, you start to drag, you use your other finger to go to the home screen, open up the app you want, and then you drag it into the app. Or you can drag it across a split view. Or you can start to drag, open up split view, pull in another thing, and then drag it into the thing that you just opened up in split view. Like just 
bonkers stuff that you can do with drag and drop that I think is going to be cool, but also probably a little bit confusing for some people. Drag drop's my number one from 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 Dub Dub this year. Oh my god! I'm trying I'm trying to write a piece on it. It's kind of hard. So you know, on the desktop, right? You got a thing. You want it to be another place. You got to prep your launch pad and your target. You got to get your windows kind of in the right zones because mm-hmm. once you start dragging, you basically have very little control over your operations. So the most you can do is maybe like command tab or something like that. Right. So you basically just got to be ready to do it in one shot. Here in iOS 11, you pick up a thing. By the way, you can't do all of this in on the phone. A lot of these things, the multi-app type stuff is is very iPad specific. But you pick up a thing, go to other views in that app, pick up some other things. Um, Adobe did this demo where they have their, uh, what's it called? Keep, no, keep, hold on to, inspo. They're like inspo <laughs> app. <laughs> they Pinterest. So, they have so many one word apps. I cannot keep them. Behance. Uh, it's like that you went with hold on to it. <laughs> you know, Adobe, it. hold on to it. Now it comes with Creative Cloud. I'll figure this all out before I put a post on the website. <laughs> so you like grab a bunch of different colors that you've picked that yeah. are beautiful. Then you go to another tab in that same app. Um, and grab a couple of brushes that you've mm-hmm. created in there. Then you drag them into the Sketch app, Adobe, Adobe Photoshop Sketch is yeah. what it's called, um, and you place those onto the palette, and now they're usable on that palette. Then from Sketch, you can select layers, mm-hmm. select them, uh, Alt-Tab over to um, Comp, I think yeah. it's called. I think what I'm learning here is you don't really know what any of these apps are called. <laughs> like... How much Adobe stuff do you use every day? None. Okay. That much is clear. (laughs) I hate Adobe. (laughs) They make slow, bad apps. But they have really captured the spirit of what's possible with drag and drop in iOS 11. Yeah. And that is why I am going to learn the names of these apps. (laughs) No, I get what you're saying. It's it's a new – here's the thing. Are you going to put the thing down on it flat on a table – and like two hand drag the way that you could do most of that were, with one hand. You think so? Yeah, you you put you put the thing you want under your index finger. Mm-hmm. Now that's like your 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 drag finger. center, yeah. your drag center or yeah. finger. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's your bad motor finger. He's <laughs> just losing it. Man. All right, and then you, drag finger. And then you navigate around with with your other fingers. Yeah, uh, with multi touch. And you tap other things, maybe using your middle finger or your thumb. Yeah. You tap other things that you want and kind of stack them under okay, your index stop. finger. Okay, stop. Here's what I want to see. Here's what I would like, where I'd like this to go. Mm. I want to see YouTube videos of kids doing fucking drag moves mm. on an iPad. Like, like trick shots. <laughs> like trick shots, <laughs> drag and dropping on an iPad. Like, you didn't even think this was possible. Yeah. I dragged five Get things into little... five different apps. I switched to space. All with like I'm sp- I'm holding a fidget spinner in the other hand. I, like yeah. I want to see it. No, you remember those little skateboards that you could do like tricks with your fingers with? You <laughs> yeah. know those tiny little skateboards. I yeah. want someone to make one of those, but with capacitive wheels. And then I want to see drag and drop done with <laughs> little tiny trick skateboards. You you can uh, developers so that that Apple's doing this with an API, and it, it's really cool that they like they reimplemented their own like home screen with the drag and drop API. Like they've done it in a lot in their calendar app and reminders, so they're using it in a lot of places. But developers have a lot of flexibility, Inclu- so like there's dragging like text. Like most of what we do on the desktop is we drag images, 
We can drag, drag text. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much like, or you can drag a specific file format if to like Photoshop if you know yeah. it can handle it. But th- th- this API makes it a lot more flex- flexible so developers can use kind of any custom data type if they want to or use just the standard ones. But they can also customize animations mm-hmm. for drag and drop. So you could have like a fidget spinner, oh drag Wait, and drop. are you serious? <laughs> Why you would you to. do Why? I don't know. Can I say this? I used a fidget spinner for the first time just before I came on the show. Shit's boring. It is really boring. It's really boring. Like it, a good it, fid- it went over like a lead balloon in the office here. Anyway, we're not going to talk good about it. Good fidget spinner spins for like four minutes. What are you supposed to do for four <laughs> minutes? <laughs> drag and drop, dog. Drag and drop. Uh, Dieter, I got to ask you. So you have been uh, on the future of computers kick longer yeah. than anybody I know. Yeah. Where does iPad iOS 11 fall into your, your rubric? On the scale of like, I don't know, original iPhone to uh, a full-on uh, Windows 10 Pro or Mac, I'm going to put like Chrome OS at a, or put like the iPad iOS 10 at like a five Chrome OS with Android apps, assuming it finally works at like a six and a half. I'm going to put the iPad with iOS 11 right now, having only you know used it in the hands-on area. It feels like an eight. Wow. Um, and uh, Windows 10s is like a nine. Yeah. But except that Windows 10s has you know like who knows if the apps are any good. <laughs> right. I mean they're coming um, at it from radically different. Yeah. I mean to be clear, like I was this isn't quite like reality distortion field talking, but it was a sort of thing where like. I'm still in like the, the the Twitter meme of like the stages of like uh, your mind exploding, mm-hmm. uh, where I like things that I didn't think I was going to be able to do on an iPad, I could do on an iPad now. Like if you really want to, you can sort of get three like apps running on the same screen on an iPad Pro now because you can have your split screen and then you can like pull up a slide over app that is will like stand over one of the other two apps just to take a quick peek at it and then get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, it, well, I mean, you could also just leave it there, but then it's hiding half of one of the apps. So, and like a file system. So, like, I don't have to, like, ha- okay, I have this thing. What do I do? I don't know. Uh, how do I open this thing? I don't know. Uh, it's like just it just works the way that you expect files on a computer to work. The other thing, which isn't necessarily a future of computer thing, but is like pretty cool, is they change the way that screenshots work. When you take a screenshot now, it puts a little thumbnail of the screenshot down in the lower right-hand corner, and you can immediately tap on it, open it up, annotate it, crop it to what you actually want to show, and then save it or share it. Yeah. So like, and so like, we already communicate through screenshots nonstop, and I do it on my computer all the time, and we do it on phones all the time. But now it's going to be even easier to like take that stuff and actually crop it to what you want to share it. So we're going to be sharing out images all the time now. Yeah, I mean, I. By the way, just so the listeners know, Dieter's scale was not a numerical ranking scale. No, it not was, quality scale. Like on the left scale. was the original iPhone, and on the right was like a PC, and you're just yeah. putting them along that line. So it actually makes sense that Windows 10s would be closer to the PC. Right. I'm just I'm just trying to save you some email, man. But Dieter's Twitter handle is yeah, that no, line. Yeah. <laughs> you can tweet at him whenever you want. Um, All of this stuff, by the way, is totally provisional because when we're talking about these, like the future, this idea of the future computers is your operating system becomes like managed and becomes more limited, but is still powerful enough for you to do the stuff that you want. So iOS, like you can only get stuff from the App Store. Apple, like strongly dictates how windows work in a very serious way. So you can't just put windows wherever you want. Um, they also strongly dictate like a whole bunch of other things about the platform, but the trade-off is it, the battery lasts longer. It's more secure. It's more stable. 
Um, Windows 10S is the same idea. You can't install any old app from the internet, but you can install stuff from the Windows Store. But otherwise, it just looks like Windows. Chrome OS, same thing. It, Chrome uh, Google handles all of the updates automatically. They happen every six weeks on the dot, you know, down the line, bam, bam, bam. Um, and so, like, there's like a bunch of stuff about this that like the the neck beard in me is like, oh no, my operating system should be completely free and open and do whatever I want. Um, but there's another part of me that's like, you know what? I'm ready to like not worry about viruses anymore. That would be pretty great. Yeah. Um, you know what? I might put Windows 10 da- uh, 10s down to an eight uh, because even though you can do windowing however you want, you can only use the Edge browser. Which Anyway, the, the point that I was trying to get to is um, nobody has used any of this stuff in its final form. Not 10s, not iOS 11, and not Chrome OS. So like, this is all like we're talking in terms of like potential, not actual like judgment of using the thing. Right, that makes sense. I, I mean, had the same first impressions as Dieter, though. Yeah, I, I am also getting this thing where as the, the second you start using iOS 11 on the iPad, something just sort of clicks that was not there before where it, it feels I, at least if you're somebody coming from a desktop which I think is like most humans mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like it, things are where they should you're able to move around as you'd expect like it feels like an interconnected uh, you know world of a computer not right. just like these siloed apps where you're like oh, okay I guess I'm going to trudge over to the browser now and now I'm going to hit like five buttons and then I can get this file over here. Um, it, it, it's definitely starting to feel like a, a more mature system. Right. Um, it's clear that they're letting these things develop along their own paths now in a way that they weren't mm. necessarily before. Yeah. It, it, it initially felt like the iPad Pro was Apple sort of just like throwing it in, being like, well, the service seems to be doing well. I guess we should do something. But it, but, but now it seems like they have actually taken that and run with it. And yeah. that is is forcing them to make iOS more complicated. I, I probably for the better. I mean, we could probably do an entire show about how the Surface RT was actually the product that everybody wanted, but we shouldn't do that show. Okay, let me read an ad and then we're gonna talk about Max. This episode of Virtuous also brought to you by The Art of Shaving. What is the secret of well-groomed guy? The Art of Shaving. Founded in New York in 1996, The Art of Shaving has been helping guys look their best for over 20 years. The Art of Shaving has your total routine covered, whether that's shaving, beard maintenance, hair, skin, body, or fragrance. The Art of Shaving's award-winning products are formulated with the highest quality botanical ingredients featuring pure, essential oils. The four elements of the perfect shave have been created to deliver smooth results every day. You prep your skin with their signature pre-shave oil, then you create a thick, foamy lather with some shaving cream applied with the shave brush. You shave, then you replenish all that moisture with aftershave balm. You finish off the perfect shave with one of their five fragrances. I mean, I'm going to say it. There's sandalwood and cypress, and then there's oud suede. And if you're not living that oud suede life. Anyway, there's also citron, there's green lavender, there's coriander and cardamom. Every one of these clones has been carefully assembled for a distinctive scent. The Art of Shaving offers a convenient replenishment service that allows you to save on your favorite products while never having to worry about your face, presumably. Anyway, look, if you're a Vergecast listener, you can get 15% off your first order and free shipping by using promo code VERGE. You go to theartofshaving.com, type in VERGE, and you get 15% off your first order. Oh, and free shipping. So go to theartofshaving.com, or for a consultation with a grooming expert, there's retail locations. I don't think you can just walk into the stores and yell Verge. Give it a try. See what happens. Let Can't us know. Anything. Paul is at Future Paul. He wants to know what happened to you. Okay, we're back. Dita, remind me, we didn't talk about ARKit on iOS at all. Yeah. 
which is uh, Paul. I think it's I think it's really good. Yeah. I think they did a really good job, and it's like really freaking simple to use. And yeah. so what we're gonna see is a hundred thousand apps that are basically here's a collection of 3D models, some maybe animated, that you can put on this table. Yeah. Isn't this fun? And then you'll probably screenshot it, mark it up, and share it on Twitter. I think making it that accessible to developers so that any dummy can do it is probably going to lead to some experimentation that will probably find something new and interesting to do with AR. Because it's not going to outcompete Snapchat, obviously. Uh, I feel like Apple's uh, going to build these right into the camera app, and people are going to, like, just world lenses right from the iPhone camera, and Snapchat's going to hate it. Yeah. Right? Because if you don't have to open Snapchat, you can get all kinds of crazy effects. But but that's... It, will they do that? Why not? But, but you have a network. Snapchat has I mean, like that's an true. insulating that's, network but, effect. Of your friends yeah. being in it. How many like yeah. copies of Instagram has Apple layered into the Photos app that have gone nowhere? <laughs> that is true. Clips. Yeah, they made clips for There's God's also sake. clips. Um, uh, I, have, I have two things real yeah. quick. One, the interesting, Addy wrote an incredibly good explainer of like how this works and what it can and can't do. And the one interesting thing is that unlike Project Tango from Google, it doesn't actually create like a 3D virtual map of the world. It just, it sort of recognizes surfaces and like tracks things. Um, but turns out that's like what you need for what most of us are thinking of doing or what, uh, you know, well, what makes sense to do right now, I think. Yes. And the interesting thing um, about that, sorry to interrupt, but the, no. the depth camera on the, the 7S is is now uh, like uh, available to developers to talk to. The depth camera, if you haven't seen it, creates an image that's very much like the Kinect's like depth image. Right, things that are closer are white. Things that are further away are gray. Things that are like too far are black. So, so like th- they have uh, their other like another thing for developers called vision that can automatically do stuff like occlusion. So like replace the background of the the, the subject that's right in front of you. So right. they can't put that into the AR stuff yet because they want the AR stuff to be super available to basically any device with the A9 or better processor. But if the next generation of iPhones have all have dual cameras, then it's it's really possible that they, they, that could become a default thing, and and make a, a slightly closer to Tango level of world right. mapping. Uh, did you guys watch Planet of the Apps last night? I did. No, uh, super. Did you notice that like the the spoiler the the guy who's like who like bombed out at the end uh, basically made AR kit and tried to sell it and uh, yeah like. I bet a big company is going to do this. Oh, <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about Mac. By the way, you should watch Planet yeah. of the Apps just because uh, Gary Vaynerchuk like, literally waves the verge on a phone at the start yeah. of Peace Coaching, which is my favorite part. He's the best part of that show. Anyway, the Mac. Talk about all uh, of so, the Mac news. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they put uh, new generation, like current generation KB Lake processors across the laptop line, um, so MacBook Pros and the MacBook. Um, Although with the MacBook, you should be aware that even though you can spec it up to an i5 or i7, it is the mobile version, which Jake can explain because I uh, it, it makes me sad and tired. Uh, they also introduced an iMac Pro, which uh, I'm sure Paul has lots of feelings about. It's very bonkers. Um, and then just because... Because uh, they they just can't kill it because that's the, it's a laptop everybody actually wants. They slightly increase the processor speed on the MacBook Air. Yeah. And then there's also a new operating system called 
High Sierra, um, H-I-G-H, um, not High Siri, um, which I don't know. It's like better. It, it does. It supports better video codecs. Uh, it, it does some other stuff, but it's like it's a refinement release, not a like change the Mac release. Totally cool with that. I submit yeah. to you. Those are always the best ones. That Snow Leopard represents the high point of Mac OS to this day. So, <laughs> so a couple of big things with, yeah. with, with Mac OS. APFS, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. That's a that's a big deal. Which is yeah. which is as far as I know, and I'm gonna I might do a deep dive on it. Man, this this is a really good dub dub for me. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Okay. So so Apple file system. What what does that do for me as a consumer? Like it sounds cool. I'm yeah. I'm thrilled. I have zero idea what it means. There's like you'll be able to copy oh, files fast. Well, so so so, like, so oh not uh, like instantly. That's a yeah, big deal. Like, yeah, so, they just just boom. So think think of it a, tip, a typical file system. There's a bunch of files. There's those little DS store files, right? That that, that have the metadata of what's mm-hmm. in a folder and stuff like that. It's all kind of spread out over a hard drive. If you're looking for something, you got to kind of dig through it. Um, the like more modern file systems are a lot more like like GitHub. Where they're basically versioned and have are kind of tracked in almost like a database. So if you want to duplicate a file, well, so I just need new. They're like aliases, but they work like really natively. So if you want to make duplicates, you can do that instantly because you're just making aliases. If you want to make like a, a change to something, that can be like. I mean, again, I don't know everything about APFS, but like some of these newer file systems have these things where it's like you can store kind of just the changes and so you don't have to ch- store like an entirely new copy of a file. Okay. Yeah. So there's And Jake, you already ha- your well, you don't cuz you use an Android phone, but Apple has successfully switched over like every iPhone from uh, HFS to or whatever they're using before to APFS and like nothing broke. But like, like did, they, they did could, anybody notice they, a difference when that happened? I don't know. Nah, I mean, things like battery life was supposed to have gotten slightly better, you know, like a little bit faster. Um, but like the, the core of iOS, like it became like easier to manage, I think, because mm-hmm. of the reasons Paul was talking about. Yeah. And it, it, it definitely makes a lot more sense on a system that you're dealing with a lot of files and that, you know, there's a lot of file integrity, like guarantees they make, like there's a lot less of a chance for corruption. This system matches a lot better to something like an SSD than a typical like spinning hard disk. It's really it's it's I'm pretty I'm pretty glad they went with although they, they should have gone with um was it ZFS? That was like, ZFS on the Mac has been like a fifteen year saga, right? Has it been that yeah. long? Yeah. It's been like John Syracuse has been writing ZFS on the Mac since I think he was like ten years old. Like that's the first well, it's just the fir- now getting adopted in some Unixes anyways. The so. first ever Ars Technica article was actually entitled ZFS <laughs> Happening Tomorrow. <laughs> it was published in 1974. It just represents a further divergence of macOS from Unix. Yeah. It's like same ideas, totally different names for things and incompatibilities, which yeah. is sad. But but it's who cares? It's fine. It's fine. Right. I mean like the Mac from most people's perspective is like it doesn't matter, right? Like you you are rarely in our if you're in an all Mac environment, you're rarely interoperating with other things, right? Like that's completely not true as far for like any programmer, you're right. basically talking to Unix all the time, either internally to your Mac or a virtual machine on your Mac or a server somewhere. Right. But I was I just said the word consumers. 
Oh, right. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I jumped out of your throat. I feel bad. <laughs> cool. Developers no, are no, consumers it, too, Eli. Are they? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying, but like, if, you're, if you are the pro customer, not the developer that Apple is trying to address, they've made your life easier by making it easier to like manage your files in this way on the types of devices that you have. But what I really want to talk about with Paul is eGPUs. Because you wrote a, a, a storming piece about <sighs> GPUs on yeah. computers. Yeah. yeah, so that's something that people point So I wrote something that I said that Apple should come out with a, a $1,000 computer with a good GPU and not reserve that special favor to uh, $5,000 computers. And a lot of it's jumping off of what they actually did update in High Sierra. They are supporting VR now. They've got Metal 2, which sounds even more like Vulkan. Um, developers obviously use Macs, uh, especially to compile to like iOS. So even though gaming is not huge on the Mac, you still want Unreal Engine and Unity are going to support Metal 2, obviously, so that you can make fast iOS games. So there's a lot more of an emphasis on graphics. Also, they've got they've got this core ML stuff that they're doing, oh, yeah. which has machine learning, like trained models that you can load onto an iPhone and call almost as functions. I think it's a really nice abstraction for developers. Um, but you can also train those models on a Mac if you had a GPU. Otherwise, you're just going to like just go off to the cloud to do everything. Um, so that they they really really emphasize the GPU in what they put into macOS, and then they said, and we care about pro people, so we created a five thousand dollar computer to take advantage of these features. <laughs> and it's just it's just insane to me. There, there's this wide range of consumer parts. They're like often called like enthusiast components of GPUs and processors that Apple almost completely ignores. They put mm. good Intel processors into iMacs, but you can't get them without like a 5K screen. Um, the external GPUs are really exciting for some uses on a laptop, um, but you ha- you're going to have a laptop processor. So you, you don't get that performance ceiling, again, that you can get with like a $1,000 PC can blow away almost any Mac at a lot of tasks, not all tasks, and there's a lot of niceties about the Mac. Um, and, you know, they, they put serious workstation components in this Mac, iMac Pro that do sound like very high quality. And it might actually be hard to build your own computer that would match this spec for spec for $5,000 by the time, by December. Um, but there are a lot of computers you can build that are way better than most Macs and are way cheaper. And Apple just completely... The, I, I didn't put this line in my piece because I couldn't figure out how to phrase it. But Apple to me is like a like it's like an old man mm-hmm. who I've been yelling at. <laughs> GPUs exist, <laughs> and the old man finally went to his mailbox and pulled out a postcard from me that said GPUs exist. I'm like GPUs, all right, let's get on that. And yeah. the, but they just don't. They still don't seem to really understand like the core of that market. Yeah, I mean, That's I think where I'm at. I think that they. What, I mean, how much of this is is them? Well, no, because like, there's a new with AMD. No, no. Well, I think there's that, but there's there, there's what they're doing with the iMac. Mm-hmm. Then there's what they're doing with the iMac Pro. I think those are the, like the industrial designs that they have. Mm-hmm. What they admitted was the Mac Pro is a straight up piece of industrial design 
was not appropriate for this particular era of GPUs. Mm -hmm. So they've got a Mac Pro coming out. That will be modular, supposedly. So you can get it without the 5K screen. Presumably you can put a variety of GPUs in it. Who knows if they'll open the doors to NVIDIA versus AMD. So I think this is just a transition point. You don't think that they're going to – I mean, what did they use to charge for the Mac Pro? There's like, there's no way it's going to be a $1,000 machine like Paul's talking about. I mean, Apple's not going to sell mean, anything what for if they, what, yeah. if they, but, what if they but, yeah. like reimagine the Mac Mini – as like they take take the Mac Pro, take the GPU out of it, and put like you know like a, just a you know uh, standard Intel six whatever into it. Be like, all right, this is the base thing. It's basically a Mac Mini, but it, you can spec it up to a killer processor. And feel free to plug in whatever external GPU that you want. We just saved you two thousand dollars. You got to go spend it yourself. But like, here's a here's a thing that like is basically scales from a basic Mac Mini all the way up to an insane Mac Pro. In like, you know, a single enclosure. Sounds fine to me. But, I feel, but like, you have to plug stuff into it. Sure. I, however they want to do it, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm I, fine. They just have another turn coming. That's that's my only point. There's another turn coming for them with the Mac line. Yeah. And maybe that will be the more mod. It's just they haven't talked. They talked about it a little bit that they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. But this was their like, I don't know. Let's just shove all the chips in an iMac. And the iMac Pro looks cool as hell. Mm -hmm. It's just very yeah. expensive. Right. It's unclear. Like, we our video editors sit on iMacs all day here. So, like, maybe this will be great for them. But it's way more expensive than the iMacs that we're currently kidding out. Well, them. one of our new video people, uh, Alex, just messaged me. He's like, I agree with your piece. You're the smartest man at The Verge. Paul, favorite editor. Alex Parkins. That's why we hired him. <laughs> Just to validate He didn't Paul. say all those things, but he did say, for the very reasons I listed, he built a Hackintosh. Oh, work. interesting. And now uh -huh. he's thinking about switching it over to Windows, which is exactly why I, I think Apple, it would serve Apple to address this. Like, I, I get it that I'm writing very selfishly, but Apple, I think, would be, is losing a market. Paul made a, a, a really good point in his piece um, that it, its products are just not accessible for the up-and-coming creators, right? Like people who are vlogging on YouTube. Which Mac are they supposed to buy that's going to let them easily edit 1080p or 4K footage? Like, you're, you have to spend, what, like at least 1800 or something like that before you get a discrete graphics card? Right. Like, that seems a little crazy when you can do that for $1,000 on a Windows laptop. At, like, at much... The, the $2,300 iMac... Is like their top of the line. The 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 RX five eighty is 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 definitely inferior to what you could get in a, a PC you build yourself for a thousand dollars. And it's just like it's just <laughs> it's just it's kind of obvious to me. But I, no, I agree. I, it's frustrating, and it's like for someone like me, I I like macOS enough that uh, switching to Windows it just does not. Is not not something I want to entertain, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like the the Macs they're trying to sell me right now are not doing all the things that I want them to do. And it, it, you know, you look at the Windows side of things, and on some level, maybe it's always been this way, but I feel like it's becoming more and more obvious that Apple is just like doing its own thing, um, and it, they're like, well, look, if you're if you want to spend this much, then you're getting this computer, but if you want. To, to actually create things, you're going to have to go way up. Like, that's that's your only option. Yeah, it's just the myth that creative people are rich. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's it, unless we missed some things. Watch OS 4. I'm sure we have, but there's a lot. Oh, yeah, watch OS 4. So, 
<laughs> no, I don't want to talk about watchOS 4. They keep changing the interface, the core interface of what watchOS is. No, they, 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 just, they, added it a, they just added a new Siri face. Did you see? Yeah, no, no. If you swipe, like, there's a whole new dock system. Like you don't hit the button and get like your vertically scrolling things. You like scroll up through it. I think they might've gotten rid of like time travel. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I didn't get to play with it. I think like, there's- the, I, I, They changed the, the app browsing UI. Well, the only Whatever. reason I want to point out that watchOS 4 was announced was they, they started the whole thing by being like, here's our core platforms tvOS, watchOS, iOS, macOS, and then they were like, okay, tvOS, we're adding one new app to it, goodbye. And then watchOS, yep. they like brought out Kevin Lynch, and he was like, here's some new, literally the way that he was presenting to it. I think this is the difference between being there and watching it from a distance. Because when you were there, you got to go play with it, you were like looking at it. From a distance, Kevin Lynch was like, yeah, here's some Toy Story watch faces. No, that was the same vibe. Like, that I don't was know. The, definitely the same vibe. And like, he's got like a, his hair's long, he's grown a beard. Yeah. Like, he's just entered the, like, I don't... Have you ever not been skeptical when he comes on stage? I'm always like, I do not trust whatever he's going to show no, us. No, and that no, has always held no, true. No. He's, a, he's a smart guy. I will give him enormous credit for completely rebooting that product. Right? Like, yeah. they got it way closer to right. I think they're still refining it. Dieter, I'm very curious about these, like, underlying changes. But from my perspective... It was like, here's a new Siri home screen and like Toy Siri, Story stuff. Siri really wants you to get fit, Neelai. Yeah, Siri's like, you're fat. <laughs> like, that's what it's going to tell me. I was just a simple mode for Apple Watch. Like, you know what? I want like one app, weather. I want notifications and just leave the screen on so I can see the goddamn time. Yeah. Like make it a dumb smartwatch. Like have me, give me a dumb mode that just shows me the time without having to. Well, there's nothing. I mean, they're anyway. going to probably have it September. I mean, they got to put out the iPhone. Right? So they're probably going to yeah. do another piece of hardware here. Watch with all that. But it just seemed like WatchOS and TVOS got the least amount of attention. I still don't know why anyone would build an app for the watch, but they did some API stuff. Is that it now? There's probably a bunch of other iOS 11. iOS 11 seems huge. We'll, we'll tear it all to shreds. Yeah, it's very clear that like iOS is 95% of what Apple cares about. Yeah. And also just putting GPUs and everything now. They're like, we figured it out. <laughs> um, okay, that is the show, I think. Well, I want to talk about something that I talk about every week. Every week. And I forgot. it just hurts that you forget sometimes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> also, uh, I'm just stalling to find the tab of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, Paul. Every week you do a segment. It's called Gates All Around, All Around. Um, IBM announced that it has figured out how to make a five nanometer chip. Mm -hmm. So right now, the best we've got is basically 10 nanometers. That's what Samsung's shipping. Um, and it uses FinFET technology, mm -hmm. which is when there's a little fin sticking up so that the processor is not perfectly 2D anymore. There's yeah. a little fin sticking up. This is Gaffet, G-A-A-F-E-T. Gate all around. Gate all around. So Gate it's not around. like a roll of gaffer tape sticking up. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's really hard to understand. I spent like way too much <laughs> time writing this up to try to, like, I, I want to get it. But there's the, the silicon nano sheets, and then the literally the gate material. The gate material is what like switches the silicon from being, um, you know, allowing electricity on or off. off. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, <laughs> conductive is what I was going for. Uh, the gate material surrounds it, and um, 
don't know. It's pretty exciting. So I, I just I knew FinFET was dying and was basically at the physical limits. Like maybe they can do seven nanometers or five, or they can do seven nanometers. They might do five nanometers, but there's really diminishing returns. Uh, but this seems like there's some new some new life in it, and and it could maybe get down to three nanometers. Uh, and so once again, more Moore's law apparently. Just doing it. Still working. Circles instead of fins. Circles? You said gates all around. No, not. They're like silos. How? Yeah, I don't know how to. You just have to look at the website. I'll look at the post. It looks like a, like a dental x-ray. I have to say, for something. They kind of look like beehives. That is named every week, and I believe named Gadget Corner. <laughs> Okay. I, I thought this was a, a weekly update on Moore's Law. And I was like, how often do you need to check in on that? Still going. You're good. Okay, so that now is the show, unless Paul has an actual so gadget he'd like to talk about. Next week I'll talk about more gadgety gadgets. I'm Can sorry. you talk about a gadget that is Moore's Law? Think about it. But yep. not too hard. <laughs> yeah. I just broke Paul's brain. All right, that's the show. Uh it was long, I think is a one way to describe it, but tons of news. I forgot to mention this at the top, but on Friday is our last ever episode of Control Walt Delete. Dieter is coming to New York. We'll be yep. taping that. I would tell you to buy tickets, but it turns out they're all sold out. But we'll be having the audio of that coming out very soon afterwards. We're in the market for no- more new podcasts, as I think you've been hearing me say. We're already starting to play with some ideas on a platform called Anchor, which Let's just do things a little more easily than trying to put podcasts in like podcast stores. So go check us out on Anchor. Let me know what you like. Let us know what you want to hear from us. We've gotten some good ideas. We're gonna we're gonna be playing with them. The Verge should have more than one podcast. But in the meantime, Rico has a bunch of great podcasts. So Lauren Good, our very own senior editor, is too embarrassed to ask. Turns out I will be on Too Embarrassed to Ask with Kara Swisher and Lauren Good talking about Apple this week. So you can listen to that. Uh, Kara Swisher has Recode Decode, which is wonderful. Peter Kafka has Recode Media, which is also wonderful. Listen to that stuff. We'll come up with some new podcasts. It'll be great. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Reckless. Dieter's at Backlon. Jake, Jake underscore K. Paul is at Future Paul. And I want to thank our friends at Norton one more time for sponsoring this episode. Do you have the internet at home? Then chances are you have a Wi-Fi router. Norton has a cool new Wi-Fi router that protects you from cyber criminals called the Norton Core, a secure Wi-Fi router for the connected home. Get the security you need and the speed you want with Norton Core. Go to norton.com slash vergecast. You save $30 if you pre-order by July 1. Thanks, Norton. Thank you, everybody. That's Vergecast. Rock and roll. Paul. Paul. Step, step. Step, step.